you just keep doing your thing. And if it's challenging you, if it's making you happy, if it's what you want to be doing, then just keep doing it. Just don't stop, regardless of what anyone says. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Calling all women who love their ride. I would like to introduce you to a one-of-a-kind women's motor fest. You will not want to miss this sisterhood celebration of women-owned whips, cars, trucks, motorcycles, ATVs. If it has a motor, it belongs. Ladies, this is our motor fest. Boys are welcome to attend, but the spotlight will be owned by the women in their whips. Check out all the details by visiting womensmotorfest.com. Jessica Groot is in the driver's seat today. Jess is an artist and businesswoman. At the age of 33, Jess experienced life-changing events. And at 34, she decided that it's the perfect time to change careers and learn about auto refinishing. With zero experience in shop life, tools, and fixing things, she took a nine-month foundation course where she learned the basics. And now, Jess just got her Red Seal certification and is working on her first ever project, a 1989 Chevy G20 van. Now let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Jess DeGroot in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Jess? Oh, I'm doing very well. And yourself? I am doing very well. And we've been kind of talking about a lot of other things. In addition to this interview, we had talked about featuring your products at Women's Motor Fest. And that's originally how I found you was your cool ass products <laughs> on your Vodge design, right? particularly Instagram. They made me chuckle. I laughed and I love the female empowerment aspect to them. So we are going to be featuring some of your products at Women's Motor Fest. So I am super excited about it. And I am super excited that you said yes to this interview. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have my stuff at Motorfest. I think it's going to be really cool. And I love being a part of the podcast too. Yeah, maybe eventually we'll get a Women's Motorfest event out west. So you can venture down from up north. Yeah. Or maybe even have one in Canada. That would even Woo-hoo. be better. Yeah, that would be really great. Yeah, Ohio and Detroit are a little far for me. but It's a little far for you, for sure. For sure. I've traveled to far places for, you know, unique events. So never know. It's in the cards. You never know. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> now, that's how I found you. But there's an interesting story and journey that comes along with you in the industry. You did not start in the automotive industry. And if I were to ask you 15 years ago, do you think you would be where you're at right now in the automotive industry? What would your answer have been? I probably would have laughed and said that's absurd. Even if you would have said that six years ago, (laughs) I still would have been like, what? No, that's crazy. 
I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. I love asking my guests that question because there's kind of a plethora of different answers. Sometimes people think, oh, they grew up in a wrenching family. They, that's the reason why they're in it and they know so much about it. But that wasn't your path. Do you want to go ahead and share your original degree and kind of your original path after you got out of high school? Well, I've been to school a number of times. Uh, I've never really had a direction. I was never one of those kids that knew what they wanted to do and already had their career path laid out. So I went to school a few times, ended up moving to this tiny little town in Vermeer, British Columbia, eventually started working at a brewery. And I did do some multimedia and graphic design at school. So I was hired on to do the branding and, you know, all the label design and all that stuff for the brewery. And then after a number of years, we kind of had everything ironed out. It was all done. And my job kind of shifted into more the production side of things. So I was working in the back and doing a lot of canning, cleaning, stuff like that. And it kind of just got really repetitive and really boring. And I just thought, is this, is this what I'm going to be doing, you know, for what, 35 more years? Or should I start thinking about maybe thinking about something else that's going to be a little bit more, you know, interesting and rewarding? For sure. So you originally were in graphic design. That's the path you started down. Now, the other thing that kind of intrigued me is that you also did roller derby. So that's another sport that I really get a sense and feel around women empowerment, female empowerment, and you like ooze. It like drips out of your pores, <laughs> the female empowerment <laughs> aspect and all these little things from your t-shirt designs to the extracurricular activities you choose, like just drips from your pores. Can you educate the listeners just for a little bit around your extracurricular activity that you chose to get involved with around roller derby? Yeah, roller derby was not really something I'd ever considered. I never really played sports, not super athletic, not really coordinated in any way. But roller derby was, I don't know, there was just something about it that really attracted me to it right away when a team was starting up in our town. And I went to the meeting to talk to the new coach and I just, I, it just grabbed me. I just thought it was just sounded so cool. So fun. And as a bonus, you don't use your arms. So you don't need any hand eye coordination, which really works for me because I don't have much of that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just seemed like a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. A bunch of women out there learning a new skill, playing this crazy contact sport and it was through roller derby that I found all these leadership skills that I didn't, I had no idea that I had. And being competitive, I had no idea that I was highly competitive and all kind of these other parts of my, you know, personality and myself, just they came out through this sport that I never knew was inside me. Wow. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And competition isn't always bad. It can be healthy. It like kind of pushes us a little bit, right? Especially when it's a healthy competition, you know? For sure. And yeah, when it's not, you know, causing you to behave inappropriately or too aggressively. Yeah, it's a really great thing. And it really is what keeps you going in a game when you're exhausted. And it's so hard and you're down in points or you have a lot of penalties and you just want to do your best and you just want to win so bad. I noticed in roller derby, women all have kind of, 
I don't know what to call it, like stage names almost. Yeah, alter egos. Alter egos. Is that literally what they're called? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it's I mean it's not like that's not a roller derby specific term, but that's kind of it's like a super superheroes have a alter egos, you know, they're their regular person like Bruce Wayne and then they're Batman. So kind of just it started, I think, I mean, I don't really know the history, but I'm pretty sure basically from the beginning of roller derby or near the beginning, people had their their player name or their stage name, whatever you want to call it. And um, a lot of the times they're silly puns on actual celebrities or things in pop culture. Sometimes they're really like crude and gross and it's kind of, or sometimes they're just they're just random names that people have put together. So yeah, it's it's pretty fun. There's, I mean, there's tons of people in Derby that I have now known for a decade and I don't know their legal names. <laughs> I only know their roller derby names. That's kind of like when you're a dog parent, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> or when you're a parent, you're Chacho's mom. Yeah. <laughs> Chacho is my dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, I guess I kind of am, right? You like lose your own identity. Yeah. That's outstanding. Now, I bring it up because it's fascinating, one. And two, one of the things I want to bring out in the Femcanic Garage podcast is all the different female empowerment aspects of who we are in this community. And it stretches far and wide. And I would recommend anyone to go out and at least watch one. And they're called matches, right? Bout. Bout. Yep. B-O-U-T. See, you tried educating me. <laughs> They're called bouts. Yeah. It's not a game. It's not a match. It's a bout. Game has become a much more popular term for it. It used to be like only bout. And now people use those words kind of interchangeably. Bout sounds cooler if you ask me. But yeah, it's a little bit more unique for sure. Yeah. Were you doing the roller derby while you were working at the brewery? Yes. They actually started at pretty well the same time. Because uh-huh. I was still working at the newspaper in town, and then the roller derby team started, and then at our first bout, we had kind of like a little expo bout. I can't remember if it was within a year or something. Anyway, we had a beer garden, and so I reached out to the owners of this brand new brewery that had opened in Invermere and said, hey, do you want to sponsor our beer garden, and we'll buy your beer and sell it at the game. And they said, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. And so that's kind of how I actually met them and became friends with the owners of the brewery was through roller derby. Isn't that crazy how networking works? Yeah. And you ended up working there for what, almost 10 years? Yeah. The brewery's 10 year anniversary is this fall and I still do the social media and design for them for, you know, special events. And when they do come up with a new beer and stuff, but I just don't actually, I don't actually work in the brewery anymore, but I, yeah, I'm still Technically employed there, still working there. I just can't quite cut that tie. I love that place so much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's way cool. Now, here you are. You're doing graphic design. You have extracurricular set up. At this point, you're married as well, correct? Yes. During this period. Yeah. And then something happens. We kind of talked a little bit about it in the pre-interview where I remember reading your driver's seat form. And when I read through it the first time, I'm like, holy crap. Like here you have all these things, right? You're married, you're doing graphic design, you have this cool extracurricular activity, right? And on the outside looking in, it's like, wow, all these great things going for you, right? And then I get to it and then there's like, boom, like a shift, It's like your whole world turns upside down and you make drastic changes in your life. Do you care if we talk a little bit about that? 
No, yeah, no, that's fine. I'm totally, totally open. Listeners, stay with us here because it helps understand how you arrived in the place that you're at in this industry that you love. Now, walk us through a little bit because there was a major life-changing event for you. And what was that? It was kind of crazy. So my number for roller derby is 33. Everyone knows my number is 33. I love the number 33. Everything is 33 with me. So, you know, I was starting to head into my 33rd year really stoked and was just like, yeah, finally, 33. This is going to be the best year of my life. And then it turned out to be the most tumultuous year of my life. My birthday is in April. Shortly, basically right around my birthday, my husband and I, ex-husband now, we just kind of realized that it wasn't working anymore. We weren't a good match and we were kind of living separate lives and we couldn't really bring it back together anymore. So we decided to separate and kind of go our own way. Uh, Luckily, you know, totally amicably, we just knew we wanted to be happier people. And so, you know, there was no drama, no ugliness. It was just the term modern uncoupling, (laughs) as it were. And it was a big change that happened sort of suddenly. And suddenly I was on my own and having to pay all my own bills and pay my rent and everything on, you know, not a stellar salary from a brewery. You know, you don't work at a brewery to make tons of money. And um, had to start reevaluating things. Now, that was one life-changing event. Yes. There was a second one as well. Yeah. So that kind of was happening in the spring, early summer. And then uh, I actually went to have my tubes tied that fall. Yeah, that was November. Because I absolutely do not want kids. Just no kids. You know, accidental pregnancy. Not anything that I want to deal with. because. I had my mind made up and was like, well, I'm not going to accidentally have a kid and then now have to make that decision about what to do. So for me, I just thought, I just don't want to even risk it and I don't want kids and I'm going to go get my tube side and then that'll be that. I'm never going to have to worry about that again. So I went in to have surgery. My form of birth control at the time was a copper IUD. And when the original gynecologist had put it in years and years ago, he had basically cut the strings right off. And the strings are what a future gynecologist uses to remove the IUD and then, you know, insert a new one or whatever might be happening. So when I went to have the tube side, they obviously had to take the IUD out, don't need it anymore. But because the strings were gone, the gynecologist couldn't see it. So he had to physically open my cervix, look inside and then take it out. And when he was looking in there with his own eye, he was like, oh, what's that weird little mutation happening in the uterus? That's quite strange. So he took a biopsy of it, sent it off. I wake up from surgery, think everything's fine. And he lets me know that he found this abnormality and he's going to send it off for testing. So that was obviously nerve wracking and terrifying. And sure enough, a few weeks later, went back to the office and. You know, it was like every classic movie, TV show that you see where a doctor is telling a patient that they have cancer. And, you know, I was not fully quite cancer, but the cells had mutated and they're basically in the last stage before they become cancer. Your ears start ringing. You can't really hear the doctor anymore. Everything just gets really 
hollow sounding and it's cliche, but it's really what it's like. And so he went on to say that because I'd already had the tubes tied, I obviously wasn't going to have kids. I should go ahead and just get a hysterectomy to remove my uterus and my cervix. Otherwise, I would have to go through radiation and chemo and all this stuff. And he's like, what's the point of trying to save this organ if you don't want to have kids anyway? Mm-hmm. Let's just do a hysterectomy and remove it. And, you know, I was like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, periods are the worst anyway. So means we'll not have to live with that anymore. So that was the road that we went down. And three months later, I was going for a surgery again and, and had the hysterectomy. So, yeah, it was just about a year because it was April through to kind of February, March, April again by the time I was finishing up my second surgery and into recovery. So you did the modern day uncoupling. I like that. I think for some people that that is a legitimate thing. Unfortunately, some people do have ugly, we'll call it what it is, divorces. (laughs) For sure. But that happened when? You were 33 years old? Yeah. So my birthday is the beginning of April. And I think he moved out in May. So it was kind of like through April and May, we were trying to decide if we could work through it, doing a little bit of counseling and just really evaluating things. And I believe it was May, somewhere in May that he moved out and we kind of just decided, no, we're going to separate. And then you found out that you're at the beginning stages of cervical cancer. When? That same year? It was, yeah, it was because it was, I'm pretty sure it was November when I went and had my tubes tied. Mm Mm-hmm. So then the biopsy probably came back in like mid-December, I would think, somewhere around there. And then, yeah, in for the hysterectomy, I believe it was February. Wow. It's crappy news, but at the same time, like, what a blessing to catch it that early. You know, I mean, my ex-husband and I were still in touch and everything, and I let him know. I was like, hey, I just feel that I want to tell you about this crazy health thing that I'm dealing with. And he was really emotional. And he said, if we hadn't have split up, he's like, you probably wouldn't have been so motivated to go and get your tubal ligation in the first place. Yeah. He's like, and then they wouldn't have found it, maybe not for years and years until it was full on cancer. And then who knows how much worse it would have been through my body. We're 33 years. Oh, yeah, that's mind blowing. Yeah. And I thought I was like, oh, man, this year is gonna be so awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna do so much stuff. And then, yeah, I was dealing with all these crazy things and surgery and cancer. And it was not what I was expecting whatsoever. I could only imagine. Yeah. I'm sitting there thinking like, what that could have been like putting myself in your shoes. I know that They found cysts on my ovary and same thing, like they sent it off for biopsy and all that. And the waiting is just excruciating. Yeah. You have all these worst case scenarios go through your head. And then when you find out either it's a sigh of relief or it's the experience that you had. Now, when you heard that and you did such a great job of describing what that experience was like for you, there's the moment that you're sitting there and they tell you that news. But here you are, you're separated. I imagine you were alone at that appointment? Uh, No, I had someone come with me. They weren't in the doctor's office with me, but the gynecologist is in a small city that's nearest and it's an hour and a half drive. So yeah, I had someone go with me. Yeah. What was that like the day or two after you found out? Um, It was pretty shocking, you know, because I felt fine. I felt physically my regular self. I didn't feel sick. I wasn't having um, any abnormal cramps.
cramping. My periods were terrible, but they'd always been terrible and everything seemed really normal. So I was really questioning, did I do something wrong? Was it the IUD? Did the IUD cause it somehow? And it was just a lot of evaluating and reflecting and then figuring like, oh, okay, now I have to go for this surgery. How am I going to do this by myself? I mean, luckily in Canada, we have healthcare. So I didn't have to worry about paying for the surgery or anything like that. But I was going to be out for eight weeks and thinking like, okay, well, I'm just on my little brewery salary and it's just me and I'm not going to be able to work for two months. They'll have to pay the other bills and stuff like that. So, you know, there was kind of that financial stress as well. And so all these things are kind of just swirling around me because I like to have a plan and I like to be organized and I like to have my lists and to just be like, oh, this is what's happening in your body kind of just threw me for this loop. And I was just trying to sort it out and trying to logic it out and figure out why this happened. How do I fix it? How do I move forward? And yeah, just try to wrap my mind around it. Here you are 33 years old. You have a hysterectomy. Now this is out of pure curiosity, just woman to woman. Do you have to take like hormonal supplements or anything like that? I don't because I was able to keep my ovaries. Mm -hmm. So after the surgery, they sent my uterus and cervix off for testing. And it came back that none of the cells had fully become cancer yet. They were mutating and they were in the final stage before they become cancer, but nothing was actually total cancer. So that meant I could keep my ovaries. If they had found any cancer, they would have had to go in and take my ovaries. And then I would be going into menopause and dealing with all that at 33. But luckily, I was able to keep my ovaries. So I still have all my hormones, normal hormones, and I'll go through menopause as I was sort of meant to at whatever age that happens. Lucky us as women. <laughs> oh, yeah. All this extra junk we got to deal with. It's so awesome. Thank you for being willing to talk about this because I feel like the female health topic can almost seem like it's taboo. And it doesn't make any sense to me why it's taboo. Yeah, a lot of women, you know, when they go in and they're complaining of pain or discomfort, you know, really awful periods and things, and they get brushed off a lot by medical staff. And it's like, oh, you're fine, just take some Advil. And oh, girl, I have gone in for years years and I'm much like you Jess I have always known I've never wanted to birth children mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I didn't want to raise them I just don't want to carry a child right I have always known I didn't want to do that and I have gone in for years and said I would like a hysterectomy I don't need it I don't want it I don't need it it's not that I'm ungrateful because I know there's a lot of people who want to be able to have children. It has nothing to do with that. But yet the doctor will say, yeah, but you're still young and you don't know. Yeah. No, I do know. It's my body and I don't want to accidentally get, well, that would be damn near impossible. In <laughs> but I'd be like the Virgin Mary, but it was like a battle and they would not do it because of my age. Yeah. And my gynecologist, like he's just a gynecologist that works in the city near us. Like I don't see him on a regular basis. We had no history together whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had my regular doctor refer me to him and I went in and was just like, I was prepared to fight. I was prepared yeah. to have to argue my case and demand it. And I just said, Hey, I would like to have my tube side. I don't want to have kids. And he was like, yeah, no problem. Okay. We'll schedule you in. And I was astounded because all I ever hear are 
so many people, you know, who have uteruses and they don't want to have kids and they're just denied that surgery over and over and over again. I wish someone, if a doctor listens to this, help me understand why there is such a pushback. Is it like a legal liability thing that if you do it, you're afraid of someone coming back and suing you? If it's that, okay, I get what you're saying. It's CYA for yourself. But if it's not that, I just don't understand the pushback. There's so many kids that are in foster care and stuff. It's like kittens, get the dogs and cats fixed. There's tons of them that need adopted. Why let them keep doing that? I just don't get it. Yeah, it's like, oh, you don't know you're just a woman or, oh, you you don't know yet, blah, 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 you know, and you can have babies into your 40s now. It's okay. You may change your mind. And I think it's just a way to control women and it's a way to control people that have uteruses and ovaries. It's the same thing with the whole the whole abortion thing right now, right? Is It's like majority of Americans want legal abortion, but the people that control your country, they don't. They want to keep women down. They want to keep them under control and they want to keep them oppressed. And if you don't have control over your own body and over your reproductive rights, then you don't really have total control and freedom of yourself. It's just another form of control. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to make this a political conversation because that's really not what it is for me. For sure. It's really just a, a simple thing. Like my personal preference is that. Your personal preference is that. That doesn't make you a bad or wrong person. If anything, I think it makes you a responsible person. Absolutely. How many people out there are having sex and bringing kids into this world that end up in terrible situations, terrible situations? For sure. To me, it just seems like I don't understand why more men don't get bisectomies. Yeah. Why not? It's reversible. It doesn't impact your performance. The whole thing is simple. It's just, that's what it comes down to. It's like, it's very simple. Why are you making it so difficult by being the doctor that denies me surgery? You know, why are you making this thing that should be really easy, really simple for me to access? You're making it so hard and turning it into this huge issue when it really doesn't need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just... I just don't get it. And that's the thing, like, I really appreciate your willingness to talk about female health. That's exactly what this is. Well, people are like, well, yeah, but that was cancerous. That made sense for you to do that. But why do I have to wait till it's cancerous? Like you said, I don't want to have kids. I don't want an accident. That's what I want. And it ended up saving your life by going in and requesting that. And the doctor saying, yeah, sure, let's get you scheduled. Well, we're all going to die someday. Right. But it tacked on a lot more years to your life. Yes. Potentially. I just, I don't see a bad thing with that. Now, here you are. You're 33 years old. You separate from your husband. You find out you have the precursor to cancer cells starting in your uterus. You get your tubes tied. Then you have to go back and have surgery to have a hysterectomy. Yes. All during your your 33rd year on this earth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine, and this kind of brings us full circle where I'm making an assumption here. So you tell me, you probably evaluated a lot of things in your life during that year. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine career was one of them. Yeah, it definitely was something that I 
kind of would think about and then I would sort of get nervous or get scared and be like no 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 it's fine you know like the brewery's fine I was doing some uh like vacation home rental cleaning on the side to kind of make ends meet you know and I was like no it's okay like I I do I mean I did enjoy working at the brewery the owner Sean is a good friend of mine totally great person to work for and I kind of was thinking well do I want to give that up to work who knows where doing who knows what you know, is it worth the risk? And so I would kind of put it out of my mind for a while. And then it would sort of creep back in, like, are you really happy with this? Is this our long term plan? How long do we do this for? You know, you're never going to be able to buy your own place this way. You're never gonna be able to do a lot of traveling, you're never gonna be able to like, I don't know, do cool stuff, because it's kind of, this is all that I'll make. And any extra money I had was pretty much going into roller derby. (laughs) So that was kind of like all that I was really, was really able to afford and kind of just thinking about how I wanted to do more and have more for myself and be more successful. Um, What was that final straw that broke the camel's back, that defining moment where you're like, yeah, it's time? uh, It was the following fall. So uh, the town I live in is a tourist town. We have a lake and uh, a ski hill. So we're very busy in the summer with the lake and they're very busy in the winter when the ski hill is open. So kind of, November is a really, really, really slow time. So naturally the brewery isn't as busy either. So there's kind of a lot of deep cleaning that's going on, things to try to fill the day, you know, just at work. And I was sitting on a milk crate and I was scrubbing the outside of a brewer's hose with a brush and some soapy water. And I kind of just had this moment of, is this really it? Is this really what I'm gonna be doing every off season? for decades to come? Or is it time to really move on and really start thinking about going back to school and changing gears? And so yeah, that's what I did. I kind of just started thinking about what where do I want to go to school? What would I want to study? What would I want to do? And just, you know, really talking about that and thinking about it. How and why did you decide on the path that you went down? So I was evaluating, uh, you know, whether to go to university, or maybe trade school, University would be in, you know, going back for four more years or more full time in class, not having an income, all that student debt, and just thinking, oh, at 34, do I want to take on that much debt for more education in that way? So I kind of started looking at trade school and, you know, was like, well, I'm not super handy, but let's just see. Let's have a look. Let's see what's in here. Maybe there's something that will jump out at me, you know, and I was kind of going through them all. And then when I was reading the auto refinishing program, thought that sounded really interesting. Yeah, it really piqued my interest. And I started looking into it more and was like, yeah, well, that looks like something I could do. There's not too much math, which is, uh, you know, important to me. I'm not great at math. So I was like, no, plumbing, nope, electrical, nope. <laughs> Those are not my strong suits. Not gonna do well there. But you know, I was like, I like color, I like procedure, I like details. And it really struck me as being really interesting. And so that's what I applied for. See, you do not have to grow up in a family that loves cars. Here you were, you were 34 years old, and you made a career change. How were you received in your classes? Pretty welcomingly. Yeah, it went really well. I had, uh, there was 13 students in the class, including myself. Other than one other gentleman, I was the oldest student, and then he ended up leaving partway through the program. So then I became the oldest student, you know, and it was 
little bit strange because they were all, I think the next oldest person was probably a decade younger than me. So there was certainly an age gap. They had to teach me how to use Snapchat so that I could talk to them outside of class because they didn't text with phone numbers. They didn't really even use Messenger. <laughs> and I was like, well, how, how do I talk to you guys? And like, oh, we use Snapchat. And so they had to give me a tutorial. <laughs> so I definitely had those moments where I felt a little bit old. But yeah, I made friends with, you know. Like geriatric moments. <laughs> yeah, you know, or like you mentioned a TV show or a movie and you get like a blank stare and you're like, oh, right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I'll go talk to the instructor because our instructor that we had for the second half of the year was my age. So I was like, I'll go talk to Matt about that. He knows what I'm talking about. And yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So here you go through, you get your degree, your certifications, your degree. Now you're in the industry. How do you like it so far? Uh, I think it's pretty great. Um, I actually finally just completed my Red Seal uh, last month. So I am now actually officially a tradesperson. Um, my ticket should be arriving in the mail any day. And that will be, you know, framed and put on the wall at the shop. So yeah, I've kind of finally completed all of my hours and completed everything. And yeah, it's pretty satisfying to now not be the apprentice at work. There's only two of us that work in the body shop. So now John, I get to tell him that he doesn't get to boss me around anymore because now I'm a red sail painter. I'm going to do what I want and how I want. And uh, it really, uh, really chaps him up, but <laughs> it's lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. What would you tell women if they are going through let's just say a life-changing event like that. Now that you're kind of on the other side of it and you can look back and reflect, what would you tell women that may currently be in the shit versus through it? You know, I think there's lots of cliches, like uh, if what you're doing doesn't scare you, it's not the right thing, you know, things like that. Or what doesn't hurt us only makes us stronger, you know, all those silly phrases that you know sometimes they kind of lose their meaning you hear them so much but they're really honestly true and if you're not being challenged in your career in your job in some way that keeps you engaged and interested in it then maybe it's not the place for you it doesn't mean that you need to be this like power business person where you're having your own business and working tons and tons of hours because you're trying to build this empire, you know, I mean, I don't personally want to do that. I'm happy to just work my 8.30 to 5.30 Monday to Friday job. I don't want to take over the world. But yeah, I want something that keeps my brain engaged during the day. And I think that if that's not happening for you, then it's okay to evaluate and to change gears. And you're not too old to do something different. And to go after what you really want. How did you get through, I imagine, the kind of monkey mind that goes on when you were going through the, hey, this could be cancerous, I have to get surgery, see what happens. What helped you get through that? Um, number one, uh, support network. People that were really important to me. It's also another bizarre thing of my year 33 is I became very good friends with this woman that I had known a little bit through Derby, but we didn't really ever just hadn't really crossed paths that much. And then we kind of just became best friends overnight. It was really crazy. And I had never connected with someone like that in my whole life. I never had 
I never grew up and had like that best friend that you always had as a kid. And you know, that you were best friends. You did everything together for years and years. I never really had that in my life. And then I suddenly met her when I was 33 and she was really instrumental in supporting me through all of that, which was unbelievable being, you know, new friends to have someone that really supports you that much and comes out and helps you so much. So yeah, she helped me a lot. I actually also met my current partner during that time. He moved into the upstairs suite of my house that I was living in with other roommates that were up there, friends of mine. And we just started hanging out all of the time. And then all of this stuff started happening. And, you know, I was like, hey, like, you're, we're just hanging out here. <laughs> um, I don't want to drop the cancer bomb on you. So if you want out, like, you can take off now. And he looked at me he's like, what are you crazy? Like, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, okay. So, and now like, I'm still with him. And I can't see myself ever not being with him. He's sort of the partner I always didn't ever really think was possible for me to have. And then, yeah, my best friend, and she's still still my best friend, and I'd go to the end of the earth for her. And having those two to really talk to and lean on was really important. So, you know, when you're going through hard times, you have to lean on people and you have to be open about the things that you need. I'm fiercely independent. I'm so independent, it's to a detriment sometimes. Like, I want to do it myself and I want to do it my way and I'm not going to ask for help. No, I would. I hate asking for help. I hate it. And I was really like, I need help. (laughs) I can't make tea. Can you make me some tea? Like I really had to learn that it's okay to lean on other people and it's okay to ask for help. And it doesn't mean that you're weak or that you suck. It's just we all need some help sometimes. And then those people, they'll need you sometime. And then, you know, you can use your strength to help them when they need it. It's like the ultimate vulnerability. And trust exercise, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, to trust that they'll actually be there. That they're there, they do it unconditionally, and there's not that fear of them using it against you or throwing it in your face later. Yeah. It's a trust exercise. For sure. I think this is a good time to launch into the red line round. All right. What the red line round is, five rapid fire questions, no right or wrong answer. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Um, I would actually say my best friend, Goat. She is one of the most like powerful, independent, badass women I know. She's tiny. I mean, I'm 5'3", and I often don't feel tall. And I'm with, when I'm with her, I feel tall because I think she's like 5' foot tall or 5'1". And she works in forestry, so she and her dog go out into the forest, the Canadian wilderness, and she's out there for weeks on end. She has a little camper trailer that she drags all over the place, and she's building her own company right now. And, you know, she goes out in all kinds of crazy weather, and she fixes her trailer herself. She does as much as she can on the truck by herself. She's winterized the whole unit, and she just knows what she wants and she goes after it and she's really ambitious and I was like if she can do all those things I can go to school for a few months and like learn a new job and inspire you for sure and so it's goat right yes yeah so that's her derby name is Danny Goat Gruff so I (laughs) call her goat for short or goater is my little nickname for her and you actually know her real name (laughs) not just her alter ego (laughs) 
Yep, yep. I did find out eventually at some point. I think it was because she sent me an email from her work email and it had her last name on it. And I was like, oh, I know her last name now. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. so funny. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Jess, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? Uh, I like to look at the uh, like various groups on Facebook that I'm a part of. Um, like the Auto Body Gals group is really great for throwing a question in there, getting some feedback or looking through there to see if someone... The fellow Canadians started that. Yeah, yeah, Hillary. Or seeing if someone asked a similar question in there. You know, I just like to browse the group and just to see it's like, oh yeah, how would you do that? Oh, I've never encountered that before. And kind of just seeing other people's experiences and the things that they're sharing there is really great. And John at work, he's he's worked in the body industry. Oh man, quite a while now, probably probably 20 years, I would say. And he's encountered all kinds of things, you know. So he's a little bit old school, he's a little bit rough around the edges. But, you know, there's a lot of things I'll just be like, oh, hey, John, what should I do about this? What should I do about this? I mean, I kind of call him sometimes like my work dad because my dad doesn't live near me and I'm working on my own van right now. I'm like, John, how would I do this? How do I do this? He's like, oh, simple. You just go like this. And then he explains things to me. So I would be lost if I didn't have him at work for sure (laughs) to help me out with work things and non-work, you know, construction-y, build-y repair type questions as well. I love that work dad. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's so great. What are you most excited about right now in your life? Well, I'm pretty excited about my house and my van. We've only had this house a couple of years, but I love it. And it's an old fixer upper. So I love doing projects in the house. And then I really started getting into van culture And there's a lot of locals here that have really cool vans and there's some van groups around as well. So the owner of our shop, he gets a lot of like uh, surrendered or abandoned vehicles and he got this 89 Chevy G20. And of course, all the van guys came out and were trying to buy it off of him. And I was like, hey, Ross, I want to buy that van. And he's like, well, I got all these people that want it. And I thought, well, that's it. It's over for me. And then he gave it to me basically as a Christmas bonus. Oh, how cool is that? So that sort of, I've been spending a lot of my weekends in the shop doing rest repair myself and doing new patches and kind of buying new panels and working on it. And I was just like, I never in my life would have thought that I would have had a vehicle that I was really stoked on. And that would actually be working on myself and that someday I'm going to have this thing that's like gorgeous and a beautiful color and I'm going to cruise around and it just for the sake of driving. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about that right now too. (laughs) Were you just blown away when you got that? Yeah, because I thought, oh, because I figured, well, he doesn't really know that Vans are a thing now and that they're worth a bunch of money. You know, even these older ones, their value is coming up again because it's it's a thing that a lot of people are getting back into. Mm-hmm. And then when he was like, oh, I've had like five people ask me about that van. I thought, oh, no, he knows that <laughs> it's worth something now. It's not just worth 500 bucks. Like it's worth some money. And I thought, well, that's it. I'm not going to be able to afford what he wants or, you know, someone is going to scoop it underneath me that's got more money. And then Yeah, I was just walking into the shop that he works at and he was coming out and he was like, oh, hey, do you still want that van? And I said, yeah, what do you want for it? He's like, ah, you can just have it. We'll consider your Christmas bonus. He's like, you work here. You're one of my staff. I'd rather you have it. I know you're actually going to do something with it. It's not just going to sit parked and collecting dust in someone's driveway. And 
yeah, I just had this like crazy grin on my face, just, like ear to ear, all the way back. <laughs> I was like, woohoo, I got a band! <laughs> Can only imagine. Yeah, this weekend there's a big band festival called Vantopia in a tiny little town called Equity in Alberta. It's about a four or five hour drive. And so, yeah, we've got a, a caravan of bands headed out this Friday to uh, all drive out there together and go hang out, listen to live music for the weekend and geek out. Oh, that's cool. Did you know that my partner and I are restoring a 1965 Ford Econoline van? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, cool. We named her. I didn't name her. My partner named her. Named her Chinita. Nice. And that in Spanish, that means little orange. Oh. Because it is orange. Cute. So, yeah, it has its own Facebook page. We haven't worked on it in a long time. We need to get back on it because we got distracted. But, yes. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? Um, I think, you know, something that's really helped me is to sort of slow down and reevaluate the procedure. Uh, kind of. Think about it for a moment. Think about if there is something that we were working on in the shop that was similar to that previously, and maybe the way that we did that job, I can apply to this job, um, especially coming into it without having a lot of experience with really fixing anything, any sort of repair is really just getting that experience and being like, oh, okay, a lot of these things, they sort of all work the same. And once you can start recognizing those patterns, then it's easier to kind of go back and look at that and be like, oh, okay, yes, yes, here's the answer. So I just, I try to think of other jobs that were similar to this one. And maybe the way that we did that will, will work and apply to this one. And, you know, just kind of don't panic, just relax and just think about your procedures. That's sound advice. And finally, what's your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Well, just stick with it. Just keep learning and keep moving forward and don't really care about, you know, what other people might think or say. You just keep doing your thing. And if it's challenging you, if it's making you happy, if it's what you want to be doing, then just keep doing it. Just don't stop regardless of what anyone, what anyone says. Simple and clear. I like it. Where and how can people connect with you, Jess? Um, my personal Instagram is probably the best. It's a Devotchka Thrash, which is actually my roller derby name. And it's still just my Insta handle. And then you can follow the t-shirt design page if you want. And that's Votch Design. That one's not really active because I'm not doing a whole bunch on there these days. But there's some stuff that you can have a Google at if you like. Yeah, it's fun to look at. Jess, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today, sharing your story and sharing some personal and vulnerable information and trusting myself and our community with it. We appreciate you and what you're doing and your willingness to share it. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really great. My name is Jess DeGroot. I am a Red Seal automotive refinisher and I'm a femcanic. Charlene Bauer is in the driver's seat next. Charlene is the owner of Ladies Off-Road Network, Ladies RV Network, Bauer Motorsports Media, and the president of Ladies Off-Road Foundation. She is also a dirt bike rider, hardcore wheeler, and the first female member of the Arizona Undertaker's 4x4 Club. In 2014 and 2015, she earned the title of Fastest Girl Up Back Door 
at the King of the Hammers Backdoor Shootout. She was also recognized by BF Goodwrench Tires as one of their performance team members and was voted by peers as an off-road motorsports Hall of Fame Rising Star in 2016. Charlene started Ladies Off-Road Network in 2016, which aims to support all off-road ladies by guiding, educating, and motivating them to achieve their goals. Be sure to check out next week's episode, as Charlene, a true champion of women, shares her journey. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribed for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?